the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. This is Morgan Zeggers. Thanks for tuning back in. Today we're going to go over quite a few news updates for you regarding Nancy Pelosi. We've got some COVID stuff. We've got some Biden stuff and oh, and some Putin and China stuff. So let's get on into it. Okay, so before we get into the first story, which has to do with Nancy Pelosi and Italy, more of like a swampy story for you, I want to talk about VARA safety one more time, you guys. If you guys haven't seen my Instagram, there's a tutorial of me using this, but VARA safety has a Reach 2S that I like to use to store my firearm in my home, the one that I need for immediate access in case I need to grab the gun immediately defend myself, defend my home, etc. So it's a hybrid between a holster and a safe. It's screwed into a sturdy piece of furniture in my home, and it only unlocks because of my thumbprint touching a biometric sensor on the safe. So when I pull it out, my thumbprint naturally aligns with it. It gives me immediate proper grip, and then I'm ready to rock and roll. I think everybody needs to have one of these in their home, and they also offer vehicle versions so it's very, very cool. It's very safe, very effective. And if you guys want to get this, you can go to varasafety.com. These are made in America, made in upstate New York, actually very cool. And uh, varasafety.com, V-A-R-A, safety.com is where you can get the reach to us. Okie dokie, first story has to do with our lovely friend, Nancy Pelosi. If you guys have been listening to the show, then you've heard me mention before that the rumors are that Nancy Pelosi, if the Republicans take back the House, Nancy Pelosi is planning on retiring. She's done. She's had it. Now, what do you do after you've made so much money and so much fame in politics? I mean, her the amount of money her family has and the fact that she's been in office for most of her life is highly concerning. And you wonder how these people are able to earn so much money and increase their net worth beyond that. I mean, they say, oh, well, her husband was just very successful. Is that all that there was? Well, either way. What does a couple like that do after they've lived and gone into far into many, many later years spent in a high, powerful position? I personally think you shouldn't be serving in office when you're as old as Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi, because it's just too risky. I think at that point, you're just sitting in your seat, staying there for the power, staying there for the connections, staying there for the money. Well, I thought that Nancy Pelosi would at least just retire at this point. We saw that she got a house in Florida. That was a big story. Oh, no, no. Apparently, you guys, she's seeking an ambassadorship to Italy. If the Republicans win, she wants Joe Biden, who will still be president for another two years after the the midterms in November. She wants to be appointed ambassadorship to Italy. So, you know, that's an annoying story because it's like, wow, you do all this and then now you get to go to Italy and just retire and act like nothing happened. That was kind of frustrating, but it's not really a story to me. The story was really about the fact that Washington, D.C. politicians have their own way of doing things. You know what I mean? Because I found this Fox Business article. 
Does Pelosi seeks ambassadorship to Italy if GOP wins House majority in midterms? Biden has not yet nominated an ambassador to Italy since entering the White House. And I was like, what? Huh. So this is by uh, Maria Bartiromo. And it says, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is planning her next move after an expected Republican victory in November. Sources tell Fox Business that Pelosi wants Biden to nominate her to become the next U.S. ambassador to Italy if the GOP takes the House majority in the midterm elections. Biden is holding the spot for the Speaker, sources say, which is one reason he has yet to fill the position since taking office. What? So he's been in office two years and he just leaves? For two years, vacancies open, just saving them for his rich, powerful friends when it's time for them to, you know, retire and move on out to Italy to get to live in luxury there. Is that how DC works? That's kind of disappointing. And that's why I'm telling you guys this. It's like, wow. It's a speculation earlier this year that a Pelosi ally and former Wall Street executive wanted the job has shifted with the increasing likelihood that the GOP takes the majority, so more so in the favor that Nancy takes it. There was no clarity yet on how a new Senate will react to a Pelosi nomination because the Senate has to approve nominations proposed by the president. It's another example of checks and balances. But there was a mixed reaction to her in the role from sources this week. So far, 101 Biden ambassador nominees have been confirmed in the Senate, but Biden has been slow to name ambassadors to several countries, including Italy. About a quarter of them are currently without a Senate-confirmed official, so 27% of 194 ambassador positions. It says presidents typically reserve ambassador posts in the most desirable locations, like Italy, for people who have helped propel them to the White House, such as political operatives and donors. Really? I wonder how long this has been going on. This is something that kind of flew under the radar for me, I guess. I, I did not know about this. And I wonder if perhaps there should be, maybe it's petty me, but I'm wondering, like, could there be a rule that you have to fill the vacancies by a certain time so that you can't just save them for your friends when they decide that they want to transition into becoming the ambassador for that role? You know what I mean? But I digress. Uh, with that being said, we have some updates with our friend President Biden after that whole mess of a speech last week. And now we have Trump's reaction and we have the reaction to Trump's reaction. It's a mess. So like we talked about on the last episode, and if you haven't listened to that, it's a good one. You got to go listen. We broke down President Biden's actual address that he gave in front of Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence and Constitution were, were created and confirmed by our founders. He stood in front of that and he called an entire half of the population threats to democracy to rights, to freedom, and continued to say that our political existence was a threat to the republic. Now, he quickly walked that back, as I mentioned in the episode, when he was asked the next day by Peter Ducey, did you really call half of Americans political extremists and, you know, domestic terrorists, basically? And Biden said, I never said anybody was that. No, 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 I never said that. I just said, you know, people that are MAGA Republicans that believe in political violence and can't accept the election. Um, okay, the left is the side that embraces political violence. They are the summer of love side, right? Of side of riots and, and providing bail money to people that burn and loot and destroy cities all for a political cause. And now one of them is even the vice president of the United States. So, so that's a little weird. Um, 
But either way, of course, it caused uproar. He looked like a baby mix between Stalin and Hitler on the stage, as Dave Portnoy said, which was really funny. And they had this crazy red lighting, right? So CNN, uh, it's now coming out that CNN, there's video proof of them changing the color of the screen on the television to try and make the red look a little less scary. So by the end of this very slow phase, because I don't want you to notice, right? By the end of this slow phase, you can watch the screen. The the lighting turns from dark red to this like pinkish, hot pink, basically. And then the flag behind Biden goes from being like bright blue, bright white stripes, bright red stripes, like our flag should be. Instead, it's this like weird, hot pink American flag version. And it's it's all because they think we're dumb enough to fall for it. They saw the the aesthetic of the speech and they said, oh my gosh, this does look scary. Our guy looks like a dictator and we want him to win again. We, we want him to look good for the people. So we're going to change the color of the screen, even though in real life and what they wanted us to see was a scary red stage. And I believe it, it was all intentional. So that all happened. It's a big deal. Trump has a speech in, in Pennsylvania right after. And this is what he said. As you know, this week, Joe Biden came to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, to give the most vicious, hateful and divisive speech ever delivered by an American president, vilifying 75 million citizens, plus another probably 75 to 150, if we want to be accurate about it as threats to democracy and as enemies of the state. You're all enemies of the state. He's an enemy of the state. You want to know the truth? The enemy of the state is him and the group that control him, which is circling around him. Do this, do that, Joe. You're going to do this, Joe, right? I think Philadelphia was a great choice to make this speech of hatred and anger His speech was hatred and anger. By the way, the next morning he forgot what he said. You saw that. They asked him about, oh, I didn't think I said that, did I? Oh, no. How'd you like the red lighting behind him like the devil? But Philadelphia was a great choice because the city is being devastated under Democrat rule. Devastated. Hate to tell you, we love Pennsylvania. I went to school in Philadelphia. What's happening to Philadelphia? Okay, okay, a few things. Um, One, I I find it interesting. He chose to kind of laugh at Biden about this. I mean, you could take a very serious tone. You could take a few different tones in reaction to it. A strategic political approach is to laugh at your opponent. That really knocks people that that take power seriously, that that take status seriously, and that are trying to scare you. If you laugh at them, it really knocks them down a few pegs. And it also bolsters the camaraderie and it it brings morale up in the people that are being attacked. And so interesting approach there. But what I noticed, if you guys notice, so he says, Joe Biden calls us an enemy of the state. He is the enemy of the state and so is the fake news. So that clip of, of President Trump saying he's the enemy of the state is clipped Right. They just drag that one sentence, even though he's saying Joe Biden called us an enemy of the state. He's the enemy of the state. And so are all the people that prop him up. (sighs) The left just takes the clip where Trump says he is the enemy of the state. Joe Biden and his his supporters. 
They clipped that, and now that's all over the internet. So what happens next? Next, the news cycle changes to adjust to this new breaking moment, and this is what is said on CNN. And David, let me start with you. We just heard from former President Trump as he labeled the Justice Department and FBI, quote, vicious monsters. And he also called President Biden an enemy of the state. Is he making one of the points that President Biden made on Thursday night? Is he making that point for him? Well, I, th- I think listen, I think he's playing entirely for Donald Trump. And what we're seeing from Trump in these days is he's going back to a, his classic strategy of deflect and delay. And he's using language uh, in these speeches, which are really hyper partisan kind of speeches. He's using that to deflect. When you call somebody an enemy of the state, as he has done, that in effect in our country today is, is regarded as treason. That's a charge of treason. And normally in our politics, you don't go you don't go there. But if you go there, it deflects attention as he wants to from Biden uh, and and from his legal trouble. But the other thing I think we we're also seeing is the delay tactic. You know, I think with the special master, I'd be curious about what John Dean thinks about this. Okay, so CNN completely ignores the fact that Joe Biden just said Trump and all of his supporters. So so tens of millions of people are threats to the democracy of America. Trump says, no, you're the threat. You're the enemy. CNN takes it, flips it, and then asks the guests, what do we think about an unprecedented move by Donald Trump to declare such a thing about the the people of America and Joe Biden, the president, and his supporters? Oh, my gosh. And then CNN's guests... They inflame the situation even more, pour gasoline onto the fire, and say Trump is committing treason. So when we play around with this kind of language, you guys, it leads to not-so-good things. I get some questions. Like, I'm going to answer some questions in some future episodes with some Q&A episode stuff. But some of the questions I get are, do you think all this dramatic language and all of this talk on social media and all these jokes that are kind of made about a civil war, do you think it'll ever turn hot? And I, I really hope it doesn't because I think very few people actually understand what that means. And so I really wish people with microphones and people with suits that stand or sit in front of a camera and go on the news for five minutes in their day and commentate, I wish that they would just keep their mouth shut and stop inflaming the conversation, pouring gasoline onto the fire by making it worse and worse. To them, it's like a little job to talk about this stuff and to really hype people up and freak people out and they want the ratings, right? Blah, blah, blah. But then more and more people listen to this and they go, maybe that's the only way out. Maybe that is required. They're normalizing the concepts that will absolutely destroy our country and the people in it. Not a lot of people would survive in a situation like that. We are completely incapable humans here in America, if you ask me. We are physically unhealthy, mentally, spiritually, emotionally unhealthy, morally unhealthy. And we are not a people capable of carrying on during a very, very seriously hard time. Not a COVID pandemic, but like a seriously hard experience. I don't think many people are capable of that. I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was something of like 
the 10-80-10 rule of like 10% of people in a big serious issue are immediately gone just because they're like sick and elderly and they, they just aren't going to make it. 80% of people, you re, like their fate will be determined, but it's it won't look very pretty for them. And then there's like 10% of people in the population that have the skills and the capability of of surviving and getting through it. And if you think about how luxurious we've lived in America for for quite a few decades now, we live in a, a society where people are very soft. And when they talk like this, I think they talk like this only because we have lived in such luxury and they can't actually fathom what it would look like to bring civil conflict to our country. We see it on the news all the time in other countries, but it, we're just so detached from it. We truly think nothing seriously bad could happen. Now, people make the case of like, well, what are the the left loonies, the woke people with noodle arms? They're really going to have a, a successful civil war against the rednecks of America or whatever. People go into these discussions, but it's kind of like what Biden said, where he mocked us with the Second Amendment. And he said, well, you guys, you'll never actually win. You would need an F-15. The scope the size, the capability of the federal government at this point is a monstrosity. It's insane. And so I, it's not necessarily a situation where it would just be us, you know, the country rednecks that know how to use a gun, that have a bunch of guns on our property, that stay on our farm. We're, we're not just going to get to like protect our property and we'll be fine. It's like it would really be the people of the United States versus a massive entity with a lot of power and a lot of material coming out of Washington, D.C. and the rest of the feds that are spread out around the country. It would be us versus them, really. It's not really us versus like the next door basement dwelling Antifa noodle armed guy that's never held a gun before. So that's one thing to consider, that it's really us versus people in a government that hate us it's not that we don't love our country. We love our country. We just despise at this point the people that have gotten power. Now, another point of this, when we, when we start declaring an entire half of the country to be a political enemy of the country, and then the, the next candidate, so then you have Trump come out and say, no, you're the enemy of the state. And then we have the media people saying, that's treason. When you get into just this kind of crazy talk, one of the things that I love about the Federalist Papers is the fact that they're saying we need to stay united because as soon as we divide, as soon as we have a split domestically, you will see foreign actors step in. So imagine a situation where we end up with a civil conflict and we think we're just going up against noodle arm Antifa man next door. First of all, that's not the case. But second, noodle armed Antifa man next door is on the side of the federal government and the people within it right now that hate us. All of those people have no moral code if you ask me. And they would not look at a situation like a potential partnership with communist China and say, oh, we shouldn't do that. They're a communist regime. They do business with them all the time, you guys. They do business with them all the time. They're always helping them out with backdoor deals. We saw Hunter Biden's laptop. The things that go on in terms of the partnerships between a country like communist China and America really make you concerned. And it's because there's people out there that enjoy doing business with that kind of country, a communist regime. So what our founders said is the moment we have internal conflict, there will be foreign countries that reach out and offer assistance in exchange for getting something of their own. 
And so one of the big concerns is once you invite a country to help you in something, in your own country, they will never leave. You are inviting them in. So our enemies are just chomping at the bit, hoping that we continue our, our fighting, our infighting as Americans, because they would love to be like, hey, we'll come help out one of your sides. Absolutely. But you must give us X, Y, Z in exchange. Now, you ask why I'm like talking about this stuff, probably. It's because our founders thought about all of this, and it's all in the Federalist and Anti-Federalist debates. It's all there. All of it is written inside the Federalist Papers. There's 85 Federalist Papers. These are all by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, John Jay, and then the Anti-Federalists are from a bunch of other guys. But they wrote about 85 different concerns and issues. First of all, the first half were about why we should remain a union. There's plenty of reasons. And then the second half was explaining the Constitution. But I want to read something for you guys from Federalist 2, which is one of my favorite ones. So put yourself in the mindset of it's 1787, Articles of Confederation, the first attempt at government didn't really work. Uh, It was too weak. It was just a league of states. We just won the Revolutionary War. Now we're trying to form a new country, a new new structure of government that'll actually work. And people are hesitant. Some people wanted the Constitution. Others didn't. Federalist 2 is making the case that we should stay together and we should remain a union, but a stronger one at that because of multiple reasons. But one of the things he says is just more, just more fanciful. It says, this country and this people seem to have been made for each other. And it appears as if it was the design of providence that an inheritance so proper and convenient for a band of brethren, united to each other by the strongest ties, should never be split into a number of unsocial, jealous, and alien sovereignties. And what I really love about that is the use of the word providence. They say, uh, this land and this people seem to have been made for each other. And it was by providence that the people of America were brought to the land of America because it, it's just so unique in the fertility of the land, the navigable waters, as they say. And I always struggle with, with that N-word right there. Oh, not that N-word. <laughs> uh, but it's really, really beautiful. And they made a bunch of cases for why we should stay together. I want you guys, if you're interested, to read that and really understand. Because when you hear these kind of people talk like this, you understand that there there are certain people that we're up against, but when it comes to being against our own people, I don't really think that's the case. I don't really think that's necessary. And that gets us into a discussion of, of how are we teaching our young Americans that grow up to be functioning members of society and citizens one day, voting citizens? How are we providing them information and news? How bad has it gotten in terms of not educating them? of providing them propaganda in the media, of of lying to them about what's really going on. That's where I think we can evaluate and have a clearer vision of this. I was reading a Matthew chapter six yesterday. It's when Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And I think that's a good approach for us to take with this. When we have our eyes open and we are able to see what is really going on and we have goodness inside of ourselves and and we choose to see the light, I choose in this situation to not vilify an entire half of the country. I think a lot of people out there deserve the truth, deserve to understand what they're really up against. I mean, half the people when you talk to them don't even know what Hunter Biden's laptop is, you guys. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where 
When you look at a statistic, like 70% of young Americans would vote for a socialist. That statistic came out in 2020 from Victims of Communism and YouGov, a poll that they did together. When you look at a number like that, do you say, wow, 70% of young Americans are straight up communists that want to seize the means of production and we got to get rid of them because they're all evil and they're going to destroy the country? No, I, I honestly don't think that's the smartest thing to say. Why? Because I highly doubt that 70% of young Americans actually want to seize the means of production. I say this in my speech all the time. I bet you they've never even heard that term before. And when they think of socialism, they just think of, oh, some higher taxes, some more government programs, and then everybody gets everything. We all have free healthcare. We all get to go to school for free. And exactly what AOC promised, there'll be justice and peace and happiness in the world. So they have no idea what it even means to seize the means of production, which is when the government takes over an entire industry, and then they become the only provider of that thing in the industry. And then guess what? They can hold the availability and the providing of that important thing over the heads of the people and say, you're not getting your groceries or your gas or your water or your electricity or your job, because guess what? The government becomes the only employer. Get it? They just took over the industries. They become the only employer. They become the only provider of healthcare. They become the only provider of your retirement and pension and the ability to pay for anything. And then they say, if you don't do X, Y, Z, then you are not getting this good or service from us anymore. And guess what? There's nowhere else to get it. That's why people eat cats because the, there's no more groceries. There's no more food after the government fails the economy once they take it over. There's no food. And so there's no way to just, oh, I'll just go to the farm next door. I'll just go over. It's like when Chaz and Chop tried to start a communist little spot in Seattle or Portland or wherever it was. They ran out of food in a matter of days and then started posting signs outside of the entrance saying, please Venmo us money. Or they were literally saying like, please send us via Grubhub or any of those food transfer things, uh, pizza, please deliver us pizza inside the Chaz and Chop because they ran out of food. In an actual socialist and communist country, when the government's the only provider of things, once you run out of things, there is no more availability of any of that good or service. So things get, get pretty bad. That's why I look at my young peers that say, oh, I, wanna, I want socialism in America. We'll end up like Nordic Europe. As soon as they say that to me, I'm able to understand and look at that situation with light in my eyes, not darkness. And I'm able to say, oh, you poor thing. You have not been given the truth yet. And so I'm going to do what I can to provide you with that, equip you with that, empower you with that because you deserve it. Now, I kind of went on a rant right there, but that is all said so that you guys understand when we are approaching who is a potential ally versus who is actually our enemy in this, this great fight, right, to keep the republic, we really need to be able to discern, is somebody actually out to get us? Does somebody actually despise what we stand for, the Constitution, American values, faith, personal freedom? autonomy over our own selves, are, do they stand against that and they want to oppress us and others and hurt others with abuse of power? Or are they just absolutely confused because of all the information that they have not gotten versus what they have gotten? And I think that will help us understand who the real enemies are as we enter this, this real new phase in our country. 
But with that being said, I want to let you guys know about something. Speaking of fighting for the country, we got Mike Lindell. And so, of course, I've got to read a MyPillow ad. MyPillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build MyPillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO, wants to give back exclusively to his listeners. The Percale and Giza Dream Bed Sheet sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they are all on sale for as low as $29.98 with our listener promo code. So Morgan, use code Morgan, you guys. Order now because when they're gone, apparently they are gone, okay? So they're the Percale and Giza Dream Sheets. They're breathable. They have a cool and crisp feel. I have them on myself. Not on myself, but on my bed. And they're great. Uh, They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. There's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-738-8374 and use code Morgan or go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener's square, and use promo code MORGAN for a discount. So exciting. You guys, I have them on my bed. What else do I I'm wear? Oh, wait. I'm wearing the slippers right now. I love the slippers. I wear them when I podcast or when I'm cooking and stuff. Super cozy, and they have like a nice hard bottom. So you guys, use code MORGAN at MyPillow.com. Let's get back into it and finish out this episode strong with just a couple more topics. Okay, so next story, I wanted you guys to be aware of this one. Oh boy, oh boy. Um, I'm looking at something right now, and it says Putin and China are getting closer, okay? ABC News, headline is Putin attends joint military drills with China and others. We're going to read on what happened just because I want, I want you guys to be aware of this one, okay? So a little less ranty commentary from Morgan and more so just reporting on this time. From Moscow. Russian President Vladimir Putin on Tuesday attended sweeping war games in his country's far east involving troops from China and other nations in a show of military muscle amid the tensions with the West over Moscow's action in Ukraine. The week-long exercise began Thursday and is intended to showcase growing defense ties. Defense ties. Sorry, guys. I'm acting like this is a sport game. Growing defense ties between Russia and China and also demonstrate that Moscow has enough troops and equipment for the massive drills, even while its forces are engaged in fighting in Ukraine. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, I see. The Russian Defense Ministry said that the East 2022 exercise that runs until Wednesday at seven firing ranges in Russia's Far East and the Sea of Japan involves more than 50,000 troops and over 5,000 weapons units, including 140 aircraft and 60 warships. It engages troops from several ex-Soviet nations, China, India, Laos, Mongolia, Nicaragua, and Syria. (laughs) What a group. (laughs) What a lineup. Okay, Beijing sent more than 2,000 troops along with more than 300 military vehicles, 21 combat aircraft, and three warships to take part in the drills, according to Chinese news reports. Mm, How trustworthy are those As part of the maneuvers, the Russia and Chinese navies in the Sea of Japan practice joint action to protect sea communications and support for ground forces in coastal areas. Neil Melvin, the head of international security studies at the Royal United Services Institute in London, observed that the drills are intended to, quote, indicate to the West, to its partners in Asia, that this is an emerging security and military relationship that needs to be taken account of. Oh, that's great. It says the drills continue a series of joint war games by Russia and China in recent years. 
including naval drills and patrols by long-range bombers over the Sea of Japan and the East China Sea. Last year, Russian troops for the first time deployed to Chinese territory for joint maneuvers. The exercise marked the first time that China has sent forces from three branches of its military to take part in a single Russian drill, a sign of increasing close ties between Moscow and Beijing, which have grown stronger since Putin sent his troops into Ukraine on February 24th. China has pointedly refused to criticize Russia's actions, blaming the U.S. and NATO for provoking Moscow, and has blasted the punishing Western sanctions against Russia. The Kremlin, in turn, has strongly backed Beijing amid the latest tensions with the U.S. that followed Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan. Remember that, you guys? <laughs> it seems like forever ago at this point. Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping have developed strong personal ties to bolster a strategic partnership between the former communist rivals as they both are locked in rivalry with the U.S. Even though Moscow and Beijing in the past ruled out a military alliance, Putin has said that such a prospect can't be excluded. Now, what I find interesting, you guys, and a good you know alternative that we have to keep in mind is that analyst Melvin said that while Beijing wants to showcase its growing defense ties with Russia, China is not in a situation where it can support Russia economically without damaging its own core interests because of its focus on the North American and European markets. Mindful of sweeping Western sanctions against Russia, quote, Chinese business has had to look very carefully at its economic relationship with Russia. And in many cases, the Chinese businesses have concluded that it'd be too risky to carry on doing business. Very interesting. But Melvin said China is clearly going to be setting the agenda more and more. It may actually be demanding more of Russia as Russia becomes increasingly reliant on China. And by the way, you guys, this is from Vladimir Isachekinov. I'm so sorry. Super white when I pronounce any name, and I'm very, very sorry about that. Very American with my accent. I took French for like seven years, and I said bonjour, even at the end of that, all those years. So yeah, like I said, not a lot of commentary on this one. Just wanted to let you guys know about this, that it's looking like Russia and China are closer and closer. They're doing military drills together, the little military games that they got going on over there. Is that just to put on a show? Or are they actually going to move forward with a partnership? Because like this guy who's analyzing it at the end said, Melvin, China would really be risking a lot economically to upset the people of the West, the leaders of the West. So uh, one more story that I want you guys to be aware of. You wouldn't believe this. I've got a good one for you. We've got some updates on COVID. Now, Joe Biden recently just did a speech and <laughs> not, not the bad speech we've been talking a lot about, but he did a different speech and he decided to claim, I kid you not, that we are, are beating big pharma. Let's check it out. I've been fighting... I've been fighting pharma for my entire career, my entire career. And we finally beat pharma. We finally beat pharma. So he says that, but then he says another thing. And both of them are just laughable, right? Last several decades, many of us have been trying to fix the problem. But for decades, big pharma tried to block giving lower drug prices for those on Medicare or anywhere else. For decades, Big Pharma won, year in, year out, because they owned chunks of the Congress, because they had to help, like your senior senator, Ron Johnson, who said, no, I, I want to say what he said. He said he opposed lowering drug costs because we resulted in punishing the pharmaceutical industry. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I mean, come on, man. Not this year. We beat Farmer this year. 
We beat Farmer this year, and it mattered. We're going to change people's lives. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you're going to change people's minds by forcing them to get fired from their job because they won't take the product created by Big Pharma and approved by the the rats of Washington, D.C. We're going to change a lot of people's a lot of people's lives because we're going to completely upend them with our unconstitutional vaccine mandate. But you guys, we beat pharma this year, apparently. By the way, apparently new boosters are out and approved for Omicron, newly approved from Big Pharma. Now we have to do another round of sweeping boosters. And if you don't get boosted, you're not considered vaccinated. So just keep doing it, you guys. But yeah, we, we totally beat Big Pharma. I don't want to go on a too big of a rant on this because I feel like we've all addressed this so many times. But the fact that a private industry, private company, let's think of these, the, you know, the big three of COVID, they created a product and then scared people and worked with the government to scare people even more into taking the product and having it not only be, you know, received and purchased and used, but instead the the receival of the product, the purchasing of the product was done by taxpayer dollars and via a mandate. Like it was, it was done by force. And so imagine if you could just make a product and then have the government require everybody in the country to buy the product or just have the government buy the product out of a quote crisis and fear of a crisis. And then they just use taxpayer dollars to continue to buy more and more. And then you could just make the product again and say, actually, you're not fully receiving this product until you use all the boosters as well. And we, we think that there's going to be another booster, but we think this is the last one, but you should get another booster. And then six months later, it's like, the science was wrong. We actually need you to do another booster. And then they get to make products for everybody else and then sell another round of them. And then they just keep making more and more money. Imagine, you know, if we could stop something like that, we'd really be beating big pharma. But did you notice how he screamed there too? That was a little weird. That was a little weird. Um, So that happened. That caught my attention. But what else happened with this whole big pharma mess, you guys? The, the, Nasty collaboration between Big Pharma, our politicians, our bureaucracy, and the mainstream media. A new study just came out, I kid you not, that ivermectin, the controversial horse drug that freaked everybody out. Remember when Joe Rogan said that he was like, yeah, ivermectin's good. Remember he said that and the people freaked out? A new study just came out that said ivermectin has a 92% success rate. And it's now listed on our government's website as a good solution for COVID. Now, saying this just last year would have gotten you banned from social media, removed from social media for spreading harmful uh, misinformation. Would have gotten you banned for talking about how you should use ivermectin instead of the vaccine. Now it's listed as a solution on our government's website. And they just quietly put it there, right? They just quietly put it there when we don't really have much of our attention sent over there anymore. So I want to read you guys this from Blaze Media. Paul Saka, ivermectin reduces COVID death risk by 92% peer-reviewed study finds. The large study was conducted by Flavio Caggiani, who is a board-certified endocrinologist with a master's degree and doctorate degree in clinical endocrinology. The peer-reviewed study was published on Wednesday by the online medical journal uh, Curious. The study was conducted on a strictly controlled population of 88,012 people in a city in Brazil. 
individuals who used ivermectin as prophylaxis or took the medication before being infected by COVID experienced significant reductions in death and hospitalization. According to the study, those who took ivermectin regularly had a 92% reduction in their COVID death risk compared to non-users and an 84% less than irregular users. The hospitalization rate was reduced by 100% in regular users compared to both irregular users and non-users. That impressive reduction for regular ivermectin users was evident despite the regular users being at a higher risk for COVID deaths. The regular users were older and had a higher prevalence of type 2 diabetes and hypertension than regular and non-regular users. You guys, I am in f- I am furious reading this right now. Irregular users of ivermectin had a 37% lower mortality rate reduction than non-users. The study defined regular users as those who use more than 30 tablets of ivermectin over five months. Um, more details here, more details here. But the guy who did the study wrote on Twitter, an observational study with the size and level of analysis as ours is hardly achieved and infeasible to be conducted as a randomized clinical trial. Conclusions are hard to be refuted. Data is data, regardless of your beliefs. Now, with all that being said, here is a little throwback that I figured we could end on. A little throwback to what the left, all the big mainstream media people said about Joe Rogan when they found out that he was promoting ivermectin. Check this out. It's my mind that Joe Rogan just yesterday admitted to taking ivermectin. Ivermectin is something more often used to deworm horses. CNN is saying I'm taking horse dewormer. Rogan telling his 13 million Instagram followers that he was treated with several drugs and he included ivermectin on the list, a drug used for livestock. Rogan said the word ivermectin. Yes, that's the deworming medicine made to kill parasites and farm animals. Why would they lie and say that's horse dewormer? So things are clearly bad, but they're being made even worse by people who have refused to take the vaccine and instead are swallowing horse paste. Wait, 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 wait a second. He he said that he got better because he ate he said cattle dewormer. He, they must know that that's a lie. You have individuals like Joe Rogan, for example, who uh, who don't want to take an experimental vaccine but will take horse dewormer. Well, well, well. well if well, it is well. an old horseworm Rogan. <laughs> Ivermectin is often used to deworm livestock. Ivermectin apparently given to deworm animals. It's a lie on a news network, it, and it's it, a lie that's a will. Feeling that's that's a lie that they're conscious of. It's not a mistake. Yeah, they're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. Joe Rogan, uh, he came down with COVID. He says he says he's been taking the uh, livestock dewormer uh, ivermectin. They lied what and they said say? I was taking horse dewormer. Ivermectin is a drug that is commonly used as a horse dewormer. They keep okay. This goes on. I kid you not for another three minutes of the same quick examples. That's how serious the extent of the lies were regarding ivermectin. And now ivermectin is proven to have a 92% reduction of COVID death risk, even in those who are high risk of COVID because they're overweight or they have type 2 diabetes or they have other serious issues with their health already before getting COVID. And ivermectin is listed as a solution if you have COVID now on the federal government's website, you guys, with that being said, I hope you have a wonderful week. I am actually going on a trip. I'm going to Israel. So I'm going to be podcasting from Israel. I'm really exciting. Uh, I'm really excited. I'm going to try and pre-record some 
and see how that goes. But I don't know. I'm just, I really want to make the most of this. My faith is very important to me and this is really an honor to get to go. So I'm just going to make the most of it and I'll report back to you guys on, on how it's going or, or how it goes. Maybe I'll just wait until I'm, I'm back in the U.S. But uh, I'm really excited. If you guys have any places that you think I should absolutely add to the trip, I have some free time while I'm there. So please send them to me on Instagram or if you follow me on Twitter or anything, I'd love to get any suggestions. Like I said, I really just want to make the most of this and honor the experience. So I hope you guys have a great week. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast. The number of people that listen to this versus the number of people that are actually subscribed is shockingly different. And I need you to go subscribe after you listen to the show. Thank you very much. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.